Steven, how are you tonight? Good, how are you? Excellent. Here to talk about your property number 13. Yeah, property number 13. As we just mentioned uh, before we started recording, that's uh, 572 Myrtle Avenue in uh, Pine Hills neighborhood. And what do you remember about this property? What's the first thing that comes to mind? First thing that comes to mind, it was coming off of that burned out house on Hudson Avenue, that that six month project, and went from that project right to 572 Myrtle. And uh, here we are with another project where uh, we were doing a heavy lift and uh, spending more time, uh, you know, as a, I guess you can say a general contractor. And did you find this one on the MLS? This one was off the MLS. That was the bread and butter at that point where you open up that MLS and see what comes up. You know, as we discussed in that last podcast was uh, you never know what you're going to see. Most of the time when you open the MLS, uh, usually, you know, nothing. But, you know, that's why we check every day, sometimes a couple times a day, because uh, stuff does come up with some patience and uh, 572 Myrtle popped up, I think with a price point of like 30 grand and uh, that location, that price, I uh, caught my interest and, uh, you know, scheduled a visit. Do you remember the year just to get a reference point? This would have to be 2001, maybe still 2000, probably 2001 at this point. Not too long ago. You said this was another project where you were acting as a general contractor. Was it that same homestead funding construction rehab product you used in the past for funding? It was that that homestead funding uh, construction rehab project. It's funny you said not too long ago. Oh boy, just twenty funny. years. <laughs> you were you were in elementary school. Um, yeah, that that it, it you know time flies, and uh, you know it it does seem like it was it was quite a bit ago, you know, based on, you know, the whole journey. Okay. And at this point, being a general contractor and using that product, is this your business model? It seems like that's the direction you're going. At this point, after that project at 659 Hudson Avenue, you know, boy, was that a long heavy lift but what became of that was beginning those really valuable construction relationships that now I'm able to utilize on the next projects or any type of work that was necessary on our current portfolio or future portfolio so this one specifically was with um Greg, who was uh, continuing to build a portfolio with, and our buddy Doug, 
um, who I who I was speaking with yesterday in the office, getting some some prices on uh, what some snow plowing and lawn care would cost on our on our newest uh, acquisitions um, at this point. But uh, back then, Doug was similar to me and Greg, for that matter, where uh, he was in the wintertime when he wasn't busy doing his um, lawn maintenance work. He was working with us, you know, digging in, learning the construction business. And he was a great help for, uh, you know, a good stretch here, starting in that 659 Hudson to 572 Myrtle. And, and he was along for the ride on the next couple of properties where fortunately when Greg was at work during the day and normally I was doing the projects by myself during the day, I now had Doug who was helping me do the, you know, the, that daily preparation of that new construction project so he was now helping me you know at the beginning stages of preparing walls you know doing the you know the, the joint compound preparing it for paint and you know all of that labor work that uh i you know a little help was certainly invited at that point yeah it sounds like it would make the whole process a lot easier did doug have equity in the property or was he someone you hired to help you no, he was uh, basically paid him, you know, a, a good, fair hourly wage because he was uh, or he is a very hard worker. So it was great at the time because, you know, Doug and I um, at that point were both very hungry, you know, just to uh, make some money. And, uh, you know, he was with me, uh, you know, through this rehab, most of it anyway. And uh you know, based on him being a snow plowing contractor, lawn maintenance contractor, you know, he had the, the dump truck and a lot of equipment along with him and his hard work. Really, he was a great asset at this point. As you know, I'm looking for someone to help me with construction. How did you find Doug? Doug's a great friend. So um, Doug's wife, Lisa, I, I have known since elementary school and, you know, the beauty of, of, of that, you know, you know, to kind of go off a, a little bit of a tangent, you know, we, we, we have a, a real nice close knit inner circle of, you know, still at this point in my life, you know, there's, geez, probably 15 or 20 of us that are still close friends from elementary, junior high and high school. So um, I met Doug through Lisa and, you know, Doug's a great guy. We're, we're, we're close friends till to today. He just lives up the road from where I do. Um, we were able to get him and Lisa into a great deal in Clifton Park on a, on a county courthouse auction property. So, you know, they, they lived there for probably, it was probably right around that time. They've probably been there for around 20 years right around that time where he was helping out uh, me and Greg. And, uh, you know, yeah, that that's, uh, you know, it's just a matter of uh, those relationships. Okay. So like anything else, you start with your inner circle and go out from there. Yeah. That's the easiest way at that point. We're young, you know, we're, we're, we're hanging out with each other. We're sharing experiences and, and when opportunities come up, especially when, you know, I'm uh, getting my, 
real estate career going. Doug was getting his lawn, snow, contractor business going. You know, a lot of times you're just looking to fill in gaps on, on how you can make some money. Mm-hmm. Could you could you expand on the scope of work that was needed at this property? Yeah, it was similar to what we had been doing. So it wasn't anything more than if I look back, it was very similar, like the 862 Washington Avenue, one family rehab, um, which was property number seven. And um, it was patching walls, finishing hardwood floors, the beauty of these old buildings in our area, they, they typically all had the original hardwood floors, which um, are amazing because they're timeless. So, you know, once you prep the walls, paint the walls, um, you know, you refinish those original hardwood floors and, and it, it's amazing what type of product you have at that point. And of course, there's always, you know, miscellaneous along the way. I, I think we utilized uh, our contact um, Bob Jones put in a heating system, you know, probably did any of the rough plumbing that we may have had there. And, um, other than that, you know, probably a lot of miscellaneous, we were still in the mode of, you know, doing things with as frugal of a budget as we possibly could. So, you know, you're talking about painting kitchen cabinets, um, you know, uh, utilizing what was there for, for the bathroom fixtures, you know, ultimately looking to just get to that um, fresh and clean product for that new rental ASAP. And how long did it take you to rent this one? This was a... Uh, we may have had to wait. If I remember correctly, it was a winter project. That's why I was able to utilize Doug on the off season. And we, I, I believe it was, you know, finishing in like March ish, you know, so you hurry up and finish. And then, you know, it ended up being typically a student type rental being on the corner of quail and Myrtle Avenue, a couple doors in. So it was prime for St. Rose, SUNY Albany, Albany Med, Albany Law type students. So I believe we might have sat on this for a couple months waiting for that student season, student rental season to, to kick in. So we, we, we probably got that rented like, uh, you know, May, June 1st time. Okay, now that you've had a couple of properties that needed a similar amount of work, similar type of work. And it sounds like you were starting to build a team around you that could handle the work. And you had individual people with certain skill sets that were A A players in what they did. Did you have systems in place? Were you starting to write down systems of what was being done and what you could improve on and little steps throughout the process that would be helpful for the next one? Um, You know, very, very rough, you know, so they were you know, written down longhand, but no, nothing very specific. You know, they, the, the two families and one families that we were doing were very, very similar. And, uh, you know, what was it to write down? You know, we're, we're patching walls, refinishing hardwood floors. 
the the one area that I wish that I did get much more granular with was how much each one of these improvements actually cost, you know, through this repair process, you know, because that would be very helpful on the next ones realizing, okay, if you break down our labor time, you know, what did the hardwood floors actually cost us to, to refinish? You know, what was the cost of patching the walls? What was the cost of painting? So if I was to go back, those are the systems that uh, would have been very, very helpful for the next projects. So you're able to go back and, and see what each task actually took and equate that into a line item on a budget, you know, so then on the next projects, we're really able to utilize that information to create an act, act, accurate budget on the next deals. Yeah, that's great advice. I'm trying to keep track of all the expenses for my property right now. And I bought some paintbrushes and I'm trying to start there and keep it, keep track along the way. I guess the reason why I asked about systems is because you'd mentioned in the past that at this point, you probably could have outsourced some of the work and focused more on the business and, and scaling the business. Do you think having a system in place of this is the property we buy, this is the work we do to it, you could have gotten someone to go in there and do the work for you while you look for that next property? Yeah, absolutely. At, at that point, we could have easily still had been the general contractor on the job. Um, ran the project, but, you know, hire someone to prep the walls, hire someone to paint the walls, hire someone to do the hardwood floors. The, you know, as I'm speaking, you know, the benefit to that would have been instead of creating those line item budgets, seeing how long it would take for us to do those projects. If we hired each one of those projects out, it would have been individually invoiced and then it would have been simple to keep track of those line items because each contractor would be charging according to each project. And then you would have that much more categorized, you know, uh, to create those budgets in the future. Yeah, being a small business owner is kind of manageable, but scaling that into something bigger is, is where it's really getting tricky. Did you start looking for bigger properties at this time? Because most of your investments had been two families, a couple of single families. Did you have the mentality of, I'm a real estate investor, I want to go get a 20 unit building? No, not at all. Not at all. We were still focused on those smaller properties. So as you were asking that question, I'm trying to really delve in. Um, to my memory bank here. Um, but no, we were, we were really focused in at that point on those distressed properties that you could get well under market value, do the value add, get the work done, and you create that instant equity. So at that point, the pattern be, uh, you know, was, was there as far as buy for 50, you know, put 20,000 in, and it's worth a hundred, you know? So once again, I explained in a, in a previous podcast was, all right, 572 Myrtle is now done. Another $30,000 of equity created, add it to the net worth statement and move on to the next one. What, what do you think kept you there? Cause it sounds like you're comfortable doing that. 
what do you think stopped you from looking for those bigger properties? I, I really hadn't started other, other than that commercial property that we bought at the auction on the front lawn and, and ultimately flipped it at that point, it, it, it was an outlier type opportunity that, that turned into a um, great result. Um, you know, looking back and now discussing it in detail, um, you know, geez, at this point, I'm, uh, you know, probably in my late 20s and wish that I would have been able to make that jump saying, OK, we, we did great on this commercial property. Let's do more. Let's let's expand our focus and and uh, scale for that matter. Um, but, uh, you know, I was still focused in on those small properties. We, I guess, you know, uh, looking back at a, at a lot of things in my life right up till now, you know, once I get comfortable with something, um, it's tough for me to break out. It's tough for me to break out. And, and, it, and it really, you know, now I'm really thinking my, my entire journey up till now in real estate Geez, I was a buy and hold guy for for over 25 years and so many other facets of my life. I, I live in the same house I grew up in. I I get comfortable with things and, and for me to change, I, I, I guess, you know, it's, uh, you know, something that uh, it, I don't want to say is difficult for me. It's just I, I get I get comfortable with things. Yes, it's certainly human nature. And you can look at it on a micro level of your daily schedule or on a bigger scale of your career and your, your whole life. I guess I'm just trying to give it back to you because the last on the last episode, you asked in five years, will I be ready to syndicate apartment complexes? And that'd be when I'm 29. So at this point, you're 29. I'm asking, why weren't you syndicating? I don't think syndicating was an option at that point in time. Do you think if you had had some of the resources that are available now, such as the podcast and the books and, and all those information um, platforms for multifamily real estate investing, do you think you would have had that thought to look for bigger properties? Here I am now, uh, you know, after you throw that back at me, I got to, you know, take my glasses off and clean the lenses and, and see if I can look at it a, a different way. Um. Yes, I, I boy, that this is why I want to offer my experience to you and anybody else out there. You know that my experience, you know, they are what they are. You know, you can't change them at this point. But I wish I could go back and be able to have that vision and that growth mindset. You know, don't get me wrong. You know, I was a type of guy that we were growing. I was focused. We were, we were, we we're at this point, we're buying multiple properties each year. But that scaling, that scaling idea, you know, still wasn't with me. Um, I, I was just continuing to buy those properties we were comfortable with, you know, but if I was able to, coach anybody going forward, depending on what their appetite is, as far as growth, you know, I, I would be able to share the, you know, my experiences and maybe reshape what, what, what their plans are. Yeah, it's great. Scaling is hard, but that's where the uh, real value is. So going back to the tenants, you said they were mostly university students, some graduate students. Were there any bad experiences, anything you learned from these tenants? 
No, this this property was pretty good. We, you know, just like just like most, you know, you 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 have hiccups along the way, but you know, as we, you know, we're we're in the middle of this conversation with this property, you know, uh, you know, th- this is why this is fun. This this you know, blast from the past, property by property with you because you know things come to mind as we're talking, which which is fun. And now I'm remembering we property number five, two Ken Street. We we had a couple of girls that were going to SUNY Albany and they had been tenants at two Ken Street for a few years. And they were anxious to get into an opportunity. This was a, you know, a, a four bedroom, one and a half bath house. So for students who are in an apartment you know, to have a house opportunity is, is great. So, you know, they were great tenants. We communicated regularly with them. And when they knew that we had this house that we were fixing up, you know, they wanted to rent it. So, you know, we had them for probably three years and they, they were fantastic tenants, you know, uh, you know, picture perfect for student style tenants paid to rent, you know, very, um, um, easy to manage building w- w- with that style tenant. And, you know, that that's pretty much what we got um, from there on in. We, this house was able to get that student group, three or four people, and they would stay for three or four years. So, you know, you're able to go down the road and, and have chunks of tenants, three or four years a pop, which which make it easy. That's, that's one of the benefits to single family rentals. If you do it correctly, you get people that stay, don't turn over. And, uh, you know, they, they take care of the property like they own it. And uh, that's how the single families work because typically, you know, they, they may not have the cash flow that even a two family is going to have, let alone a three and a four. You know, so with a thinner cash flow on the single family rental, it's extremely important, you know, that you don't have huge expenses on a, on a monthly annual basis. Yeah, absolutely. I think back to the stereotypes on college students and you walk into the girls that are renting and they have candles on and, and pillows and blankets everywhere. And then you walk into the guy's apartment and there's holes in the wall and you just beer kegs and it's an absolute mess. Did you see that at all with your rentals, that difference in renter quality? Stereotypes. You're, you're dealing it, just that's. <laughs> it, it is. But from my own experience, there is some validity there. And, and you, as a landlord, you can't necessarily pick who you rent to. But I'm just wondering from your experiences, did those stereotypes prove to be true? A lot of the times, a lot of the times, but then, then you would be, you know, then, then you're like, whoa, what happened here? I got some girl tenants that, that, you know, it, it looks like guys are renting. So yeah, I, I, I had the same stereotypes and then, um, you know, just like anything, you know, uh, you know, you can poke holes in, in, in all of that because, uh, you know, you do see examples where, you know, the guy tenants are, are neat as a pen and, and girl tenants aren't. So typically, you know, with the, with the college age kids, yeah, the, the, the girls are going are gonna to keep a better apartment than the guys. Mm-hmm. And did you have an exit strategy for this one? You're just adding it to your portfolio at that point? 
Yeah, we're just we're just building a portfolio. Anything else you want to add for the property? No, that's that's it. This one, fortunately, I, I wish they, you know, it wouldn't make for great podcasts, but you know, the goal here for any landlord as you're building your portfolio, if you can talk about how great the property ran and it's completely uneventful and the tenants are always great and they pay their rent and there's really nothing interesting to talk about. You know, that's, that, that's what you call an efficient portfolio, efficient properties. So, you know, this one, you know, like I said, had its hiccups, but for the most part, you know, it ran pretty well over the years. Yeah. It's fun to talk about the stories now, but in the moment, I'm sure it's not fun to deal with all that. No, whenever there's stories, whenever there's events, you know, it equals, you know, uh, energy to put in to, to, you know, solves different challenges. It takes you away from your, your growth at the time, you know, but it, it, you know, it's a cost of doing business. Let's, let's be real. We're, you know, we're buying buildings in a city with older properties and a large part of our target base could be students. So, you know, yeah, you're gonna, you know, you, you have to be, you know, aware of some of the things that come up along the way and it's the cost of doing business. Yep, you can make a lot of money in the industry, but sometimes you do have to work, and that's that's part of it. Absolutely. All right, thank you, Bill. Thanks, David.